Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I have an international guest with me, and his novel, Her Death Was Also Water, seems appropriate for our current climate because, amongst other things, there's a flood. So, Alan C. Jones, welcome to 3CR. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. This is my first radio interview, so I'm very excited. Wow, congratulations. And you've had to come all the way to Australia. Yes, to have do it. it. Now, your flood in this novel is almost of biblical proportions. You do allude to that, but don't necessarily, necessarily play on that. But it in, does, in fact, provide a structure in the novel, and I think there are three distinct sections. Yeah, Would I be right? Yeah, and in, in an early draft, I actually did kind of bang the reader over the head with 40 days of rain, etc. And I realized that was a little too much. And so what I did was I pushed that perspective into one of the characters, Carol, who is more traditional, more religious, and she sees this flood that way, whereas the other characters definitely don't. We see the stages of this flood. It's very real to begin with. The water is rising. I think it's something a lot of people, especially um, along the eastern coast, can identify here in Australia. I mean, do you drive into uh, uh, or over a road where the water is starting to rise? And what sort of things do they grab when the water first begins to rise? What's their primary concern. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. I, in some ways, my, my family was in Katrina. My mom's from New Orleans, and I used to live in Louisiana. And if you remember, Katrina was a hurricane in the States, which at the time was a huge deal. I know now a lot's happened since then. But it was a situation where the hurricane came and it left. And these come every year. You, don't, you, know, you either leave or you stay. Sun comes out and everything's fine. But in Katrina, the water simply started rising and rising and rising. And people got into their second floor, got into their attics, and some of them ended up drowning because they simply couldn't uh, fathom this what was happening so sometimes in some ways that, that ins, didn't inspire me but i was thinking about that in terms of what happens if you're in a, in a disaster and it simply keeps going keeps going because that's the second stage of your right. novel where they're in a boat they find themselves in a boat there's about seven of them and i think the concerns change there but we'll come to that yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the third stage is almost fantastical what have you done there in terms of the structure yeah, I mean, in some ways, uh, I wanted to write a very realistic novel that's visceral, first person, where the person reading it actually feels like they are surrounded by water. And I'm very happy when people give me that feedback. Um, but I also wanted to mirror the way I think about loss, because this is a book that's it's positive, it's hopeful, but it is about loss. Every character's lost somebody who they love dearly, even the people we don't like. Um, and I feel like loss can be, it sounds logical, so-and-so died, but emotionally, it doesn't make any sense to us. And that's sort of the same way I think that uh, disasters that get very large and environmental disasters that we're facing as humans can also feel that way. We know they're there, but they don't quite make sense to us. And our concerns and priorities change as the water rises, so to speak. Right. Your location is Fort Wyatt. Very ordinary. Yeah, yeah. There actually is a town in the, in the Midwest that was studied since, I think, the 1920s, although I should look that up, as the typical American town. And people would go there because it was America. I don't know what that means now. You know, now we've had sort of enlightenment since the 1960s. So, but there actually was a town, and I this is not that town, but I sort of modeled it off a couple of towns like that. But it's important, I think, to be ordinary in some ways because it 
could it's every man every person is is involved in this yeah i was trying to have a story that starts out with some very sort of typical i guess people in america i wasn't trying to have every kind of person it's too diverse but some people who kind of have these regular lives but in fact underneath that they're leading very diverse different kinds of lives perspectives and that all gets magnified as the water rises of the boat yeah well let's get on to some of those characters then we begin with charlotte and young she's 15 haunted by the memory of her sister rose interesting sort of pre well not preoccupation but the concerns that drive her the nature of her character yeah, if I was a literature professor, which I guess I am, but I pretend like I'm not, I would say this is a book about the return of, uh, well, if you were Freudian, you would say, but it's sort of the return of people you've lost. And so for Charlotte, she's lost her sister. She thinks she's kind of over it. She's smart. Her family's made it through. They've stayed together. But then her family starts to fall apart. And in fact, she discovers that she hasn't dealt with it. And it's actually deep inside her. It's, it's consuming her like a flood would. Like a flood would. So here we get to the significance of the flood. So it's had a psychological impact. We have Julia and her uh, friendship with Charlotte is intriguing. They've almost sort of latched on to it. Or Julia has latched on to Charlotte. Uh, her behavior is interesting. Yeah, and I try to, to paint Julia. She might be the most. Each person fits into some sort of stereotype in some ways. And I try to break that by revealing who they really are. And she sort of fits in the stereotype of like, oh, the pretty girl, the athletic girl, the cool girl. And so because she really likes Charlotte and Charlotte feels like an outcast, that makes, makes Charlotte question, who am I? What's going on? Why does this person who shouldn't like me really like me? And for Julia, when we get inside her head, we realize she doesn't see the world like that at all. Yeah. But Julia is also in, in need of that reassurance of a hug, all of right. that physical right. contact. David Lowry, I can identify with. This is Charlotte's father. He has spent his career in complete intellectual obscurity. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> You can identify with this not as well. Me. Okay. Not, not me, not I you. promise. <laughs> in, in an academic, but out of work. Yeah, or an adjunct. Yeah, I was an adjunct for for some years, and a lot of my friends are, and it's it's a tough it's a tough go. I mean, I, mean, I definitely had some fun with him losing his job, <clears throat> as I did, or not losing, but being part of the system that that lets you go each year. But how do you establish your identity if you haven't got work? All of these sorts of things. What your priorities are. He's also then uh, separated from his wife, Alexia, etc. We come across Mo, Sri Lankan. Now that's significant as well in terms of his role in this small town. Yeah, I have Mo's, Mo's mother's from Sri Lanka. She's Tamil and her, his father's from Baton Rouge. He's born in the States, so he visually fits a certain stereotype. He's an app developer who ends up in a mini-mart because he's supporting his wife and her career. Um, so and people say, oh, like, look, here's this mini-mart, you know, person who in a mini-mart, they're, you know, they're South Asian. But in fact, that's not his story at all. And he doesn't want to buy into that. But in this story, he gets sucked into a situation where he's on a boat with a bunch of white people. Um, and so it's sort of all of a sudden something he has tried to, to resist, just like being stuck in this mini-mart. He gets stuck into a place where people see him a certain way. And he's, that's not his story at all. His story is he left his wife and she was murdered. Hmm. Um, we then have Trent and deacon and i think uh boys even men could identify with these two because trent's the younger deacon's the older 
Deacon lifts weights. He's, but he sees everything in very black and white terms, does Deacon. Yeah, I had some fun with Deacon. He, a lot of these characters are very close to me, and most of them are kind of mixes of real people I've known over the years. I did see, I don't know if I can say it, I did see Deacon on Facebook recently and didn't friend him. Anyway, um, but, uh, but he's someone who has very, like his, his values, his ideas aren't bad particularly, but the way that they've played out becomes pretty dangerous. Well, he never um, grew up. Yeah. Really. And yeah, and he's forced to become the man of the family. And this book is the main character is a 15 year old girl and she is the strongest character in the end. And she is the hero. Um, but what she's facing is a lot of men who have different views of masculinity and are trying to do good are trying to be good men. But for Deacon, especially it plays out in a very bad way. Well, well you know, Deacon still got that very childish attitude and I can recall being like this as a child well yeah. if I've hurt you go on you can hit me and then it'll be fair yeah and it's it's such a beautiful simplistic logic yeah. but so dangerous and I did I did I was I actually lived with with someone like this as a child I shared a bunk bed actually and I was I was both afraid of him and I both kind of understood him I understood that it was it was he was scary, but he thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so I steered clear as best I could. And and Trent's got to live with his brother, support his brother at the same time as his abused. Yeah. And he's being taught, he's learning how to be like his brother because he he loves his brother. Yeah, he looks up to him. Yeah. And lastly, in this boat, we've got Carol, who's Julia's mum, and again, someone who probably sees things in simplistic. I have a soft spot for Carol. I lived, I've lived in, and there's different words here for this, but in the states we have liberal and conservative. I think you hear you have like left wing and conservative, but I've lived. I grew up in a very uh, left wing area, hippie area, and then I moved to Louisiana, which is very conservative, and I realized that people there are very different than me. I disagree with them, but their root values, in a lot of ways, I get. I understand. So Carol's someone like that. She's heroic. She's a very strong woman. But then the road she's walked down, perhaps to us, if we're left wing, we might go, ooh, like, really? Like, Trump? You know, strong man? Someone to idolize? Really? Okay. But those people are, I mean, half my country. Yeah, basically, as we've seen of late just recently. So the flood rises, they've grabbed photos or pieces of clothing initially, but then they find themselves in this boat. And all of a sudden, the concerns start to change. And... What I love, the line I love, night has, night has erased the horizon, so the boat seems to hover amongst the stars. And it's a bit like how we're leading our lives here. We're all floating along in this life on a, on a planet amongst the stars. But there are some very fundamental concerns um, that start to arise on this boat. Race, slavery, the environment... And all of the old tropes start coming out. At one point, Mo, the coloured man, um, I'm Tamil, I'm black, I'm American, is tied up by Deacon. All the assumptions and prejudices have been applied to him um, without real rational cause. Yeah, and in some ways they have this opportunity. I'm really interested in utopia. I grew up in a sort of utopian community, uh, which is a long story. Um, but this sort of idea that you have these people on this boat and there's sort of a chance to make things work. And then the same things come up, the same power structures, the same, you know, even though America's gone, in fact, the world's gone, but there you have the same things. Um, and so these play out. And the question becomes, okay, you are a liberal professor and you're nonviolent, but here's someone who's tying someone else up. What do you do? What are you going to, are you going to act? Um, and that's a question that's difficult because it, it, to become violent in that situation raises some issues for someone who doesn't believe in violence. Um, 
So it sort of raises all these same issues, but in a microcosm. Yeah. I mean, you've got Carol uh, talking about the environment. Did Mr. Thompson tell you about the ice caps? Carol asks. That's just liberal propaganda. <laughs> Those teachers telling yeah. people about the ice caps. Stop it. Yeah. But again, race, slavery, all of these issues still keep being thrown about. And yet it's not important. And yet it's what they cling on to. Yeah. In some ways, if they realize what had happened, they're nationless. I mean, they are. The world is gone. Uh, and so at some point that that will settle in, but it's going to take generations. Now, the next stage, because the flood keeps rising, we get to a fantastical level. And I don't want to give too much away, yeah. but they come across an island or approach it. And the line here, and each of them feels like they recognize it. Each of them sees what their concerns are or what their memories are in an attempt to try and justify their lives or explain their lives? or Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have talked about this, you know, since, I don't know, the 80s, 70s, 80s, but the way that what we see becomes reality. Um, and so they've come to this very real, totally real place, but each of them sees it as a part of their past and goes, oh my goodness, could this be that place? Um, and then we find out that this place does kind of stretch even our, as a reader, mind hmm. about what could this be? And it's the memories that they carry. So it's not the issues, which were what was previously uh, important, or you know the odd photo or piece of clothing, which was in that first yeah. incarnation. And my goal is to force the reader onto the boat, so we had to look at this place. And people ask me, is this real? Is it, what is it? Is it another world? And my answer is, that's up to you as a reader. Yeah. Deacon is the one that's not privy to what's going on. Uh, the poor man, um, he basically hasn't got the facility to see it. He's quite pathetic. In a boat, he's the only one that can't swim, and he, he feels inadequate. He can't take on the role of leadership. Yeah, and he's not brave enough to even see what the island, really, in yeah. a lot of ways. So he's still condemned to lead that very simplistic life. So are we but a floating island of dis disparate individuals haunted by our own memories and desires? Alan Jones's novel explores that notion in his, Her Death Was Also Water, and it's from Midnight Sun Publishing. So... Alan, thank you very thank much you so for much. talking that with was, me today. Nice. Thank you so much. Well, we're going from too much water to not enough water in our book. But if I said a Western, what would you think of? A deserted street of shops and houses, a sheriff's office, and then a person with a hat and overcoat, gun in holster, riding a horse slowly down the street. It's all here in Catherine Hawes' The Stranger. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Dark Water is the name of the place because of its access to water. But over the last 20 years, a whole group of people have called it home. Why? 20 odd years prior to the main story, there was a major societal breakdown, um, which did come from a viral pandemic. It was written before COVID, <laughs> I will stress. Um, I was redrafting it through COVID. So it is not a, not based on that, but it just it was a coincidence. But in this story, there was that viral pandemic. People ran; they had to run. There was um, a lot of fear, and I think fear drove them. A certain set of group of people managed to get together, and they found this place it had water, and it had great big gates and walls that they could use. To and as you say, a quote, the frightening outside, full of contagion, deformity and chaos. But what happened to the people inside if they got sick? 
they were sent outside or just quietly dealt with. They certainly, yeah. uh, sickness was what drove the fear. Um, so they were not yes. allowed to stay. And after 20 years, what's happened to all the animals and the agriculture and the water? Oh, it's dying. This is a very closed community. So without that outside trade, without that outside communication, um, it is slowly dying. And or by the point of the novel, very fast dying, <laughs> very quickly dying. It's in a bad way. Yes. So herein lies the problem of trading with the outside. There's little to trade and a lot of fear. But it's not so much the virus now. It's Granger. Who's he? He's the leader of the town. He's the one who was able to save the town, at least in his view, 20-odd uh, years earlier. And so the town feel obliged and um, they feel like they owe him. So uh, he leads the town and he has led it with an iron fist for the last 20-odd years. He rules over the town with the agreement of a council of elders and a younger group of men to carry out his orders. He threatens anyone who breaks the laws with the stockyard. What happens here? It's the unspoken secret, but everybody knows. So anybody who seriously transgresses Granger's rules gets dragged out to the stockyard where they're whipped to death effectively. Um, so... We haven't mentioned the women yet. What's their place in Darkwater? There are independent women there, um, but they have to adhere to a very patriarchal model of what a woman is. So we have a school teacher who's very upright and the model of femininity, and we have a, the sex worker madam who you know, adheres to the another you know, view of what a woman might be under the patriarchal sort of world this is. Well, we have the mad old lady out on the edges of town, Mother Jane. Um, it is a very highly gendered, highly patriarchal town, which flows from Granger, effectively. Yeah. So, the yeah. mad old lady, mad Janie. But it's to mad Janie, all the young women go to find out about things because they don't like the male doctor. <laughs> no, not at all. Now, the story is told by Chelsea. She was one of the first kids born after the gates closed and never knew the outside world. What happened to Chelsea's parents? So Chelsea's mother became sick and, of course, illness is something to be feared in this closed community. So uh, initially they were ostracised to the outskirts of town and then when she, she ultimately died, um, Chelsea nursed her to her death, but they were so ostracised. You know, nobody helped. They were very much alone, apart from Mother Jane, who came to, at, at the end. Once that happened, then, of course, Chelsea was then marked with being near illness. So, yeah. As an abandoned and shunned child, the hotel took her in, and this was Christian, the hotelier, mm -hmm. and his sickly daughter, Susie, who was Chelsea's friend, and she worked for them. And Peppa, the prostitute, mm -hmm. looked after her until she get started to get gifts and <clears throat> Pepper said, beware the man who gives gifts. So <clears throat> who who decided, well, no, let's hear about that spooky accounting. Oh, who decided to care for Chelsea? Okay, so I'll just read this passage. His companions walked on. His hand slipped to my shoulder before he joined them, fingers lingering warm and heavy, stretching, giving me a squeeze almost a caress. 
slipping slightly beneath the neckline of my blouse before sliding even further downwards, rubbing skin against skin not far above my breast. I stood rooted to the spot, staring at the dusty, hard-packed ground beneath my rotting boots, his hand upon me, me not daring to move, the town watching. That's how I first met Granger. Five months later, I was in his bed, his home and under his protection. For what else could I have done? They'd taken everything else away from me. I might be young and I might be a girl, but I'm not stupid. I know how to survive, whatever that takes. So Chelsea's only 16 years old and she mm. knows how to keep Granger happy. She wears the flimsy plunging neckline and high leg split dresses that he gives her with pearly pink nail polish and a shy, whimsical saunter. She's always ready to be paraded and bedded by him. She's Granger's girl, but not completely. There's another side to her. No, she... In this dying town, she knows she gets food and water and shelter by being Granger's girl, but she knows it's it's effectively an abusive situation. It is not something that um, she is happy in. Um, she, at this point at the beginning of the novel, does not feel she has any other choice. Of course, she comes to see that she does have other choices, and she certainly makes them. Oh. <laughs> it's a curiosity that takes her to the hotel to see the stranger. She was witness to the stranger talking about the city where the stranger came from. And I'm going to ask Catherine Hoare here to read a little bit more about the city. Okay. But what of the mutants, the deformed? What of them? Everybody's got somewhere. To, everybody's got to live somewhere. My eyes fled wide. Even Rast didn't seem to know what to say. From infancy, we were told horrifying stories of the city. Tales of those who'd survived the contagions, only to be changed in monstrous ways. Changes that crossed generations. Children and mothers who'd been sick, born as wrong as their parents. Maybe if she'd said there weren't any deformed or mutants left, that they'd died out or something, we might have believed it. But to confirm they still live and not be bothered. To say you might even live beside them. The sick were the terror of our world and deformities a visible edge of infection. Nobody wanted to catch that kind of suffering. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, isn't it, that you know they're all out there, the deformed, mm. but you can live with them. Mm. Yes, so it's um, it's not what Granger. No, it's is, not what Granger yeah. is telling the town, and and that's very much uh, the fact about just about everything. Now, while she's witnessing and hearing all about talk about the city, she also sees the stranger play a card of game, a game of cards, mm. poker. And she knows that the three men that she's playing against cheat. Yes. <laughs> but what happens? Oh, well, the stranger outcheats them. The outcheats them? The stranger knows what's going on and she's better than they are and she outcheats them. And, and she then... doesn't just beat them at cards. No. She beats them up. Yeah, of course, she wins <laughs> and they start the barroom brawl and she's more than capable of taking them on. So... so the way that Ress's sidekicks were well and truly thumped by a woman, of course, increases Chelsea's surprise and admiration. But there were also stories about this woman raising from the dead. Mm, yes. Maybe she had been in the stockyard. Yes. 20 years earlier, there was a big fight over whether the gates should be closed against the world or left open. And a woman was ostensibly murdered mm. in the stockyard. But was she? Mm. The stranger mm. wants to meet Granger. 
Now, this is a quote, now there was a stranger in town who wasn't playing to his way of things, a woman who drank in the bar and got into a brawl with the boys and won, who spoke of the outside in ways we ain't heard before, who had the whole town watching close and listening to a different story, a stranger with a scar on her face and a history in her wake. Does Granger want to meet her? <laughs> Granger does not want to meet her, I have to say. But um, he does ultimately. He does. So is it revenge that the stranger wants? Well, that's what Chelsea and most of the town think. And that's what is set up throughout, that the stranger is here for revenge. The stranger keeps telling them it's not what I'm here for. But it's certainly set up to be that kind of story. Mm. So the past is catching up. That, that's the ploy of this book. And when exactly the past was, it's misleading. We come to think of the patriarch, patriarchal attitudes that the men in this book have as a long way in the past until solar panels and handheld radios are mentioned. So, yeah. It's deliberately not meant to be in a particular time or even a particular place um, but very clearly it's um, taken on from a modern world that's then broken down. So so how do the men keep their power? Uh, in this particular town, on the surface through violence and through, you know, we're big and tough and strong, but they, keep their, they also keep their power through the complicit um, agreement of the entire town, of the town, because so much fear had driven them to driven them to this place and Granger had supposedly saved them by closing the gates and protecting them and then this event happened where you know the woman was potentially was supposedly murdered and they all turned their backs because they were afraid and they were afraid and Granger was the one offering them a safe way forward in their mind so they're complicit in Granger's uh, crimes here and they have just dug deeper into mm. this um, into this state all the way through and they don't want to open their eyes and see that maybe they were wrong. So if it's not revenge, maybe the strangers come to teach them about justice. Yes. Was justice something Granger was enforcing? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Mm. To do justice, to do yourself justice, is to, form, to perform to your full potential. Mm. And by the end of the book... Chelsea is in a situation to do that. So what will she choose? Is yes. there another book in this? <laughs> I haven't written one. Who knows if oh. there may come in the future. Um, yeah, Chelsea has to make the choice, gun in hand, whether um, she is going to go Granger's way or another way. So, and she... she go out those gates, yeah. girl. Yep, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So... A visit by the stranger is what every closed patriarchal community needs and Catherine Hoare has written a whip-cracking, smart, feminist western. <laughs> Most enjoyable. Thanks, Thank Catherine. Thank you.